Morning, everyone. My name is Andy. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, I want to offer my welcome as well. Really, it's very, very good to see you. Um, and the video uh, is just explaining, some of us have seen it quite a few weeks now, but uh, it's explaining our series, which is 20 weeks through the entire Bible. And uh, we've not done bad. Uh, the reason for doing this was because we felt it would be really helpful rather than kind of zoom in on particular passages, not that that's wrong or anything, and we'll be going back to doing that after this series, um, but you can get to see things when you have a big overview and notice the, the big story, how things hold together in a way that sometimes we miss um, when we're just zooming in on something. Um, so that's why we've been uh, approaching the series in this way. Uh, sometimes we've taken uh, one book or two books of the Bible. Other times we've taken uh, whole chunks. Sometimes in order to explain what was happening, we've just settled on one particular story and explained how that affected a whole period of history. Um, back in December, I had the task of taking us through the 17 Old Testament prophets in one morning. Uh, obviously, that wasn't up to scratch, so I've been asked to do the 21 New Testament letters. So that's what we're going to do this morning. 21 New Testament letters. So we've looked at Jesus for a few weeks, through Christmas, into the new year, zoomed in on the Gospels and all that they meant. Then we took a couple of weeks in the book of Acts, such an important book, the coming of the Holy Spirit, so much that was promised being fulfilled. Um, and then we get into the letters and epistles. Now, if we can put that slide up, listing them all. There we are, all 21 of them. Um, <clears throat> and the ones on the left were the ones written by Paul. And then the ones on the right were written by others. And what they are, are letters to those churches, those new communities. In the book of Acts, that Johnny took us through for a couple of weeks, uh, with the, I'm really not going to sing. All right, we've already decided, okay? It's just not going to happen. <laughs> the uh, <coughs> new communities, as, as Paul, Peter, and others start to say, hey, this Jesus, he's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one that this story has been pointing to. And what's more, the grave couldn't even hold him. He wasn't just another teacher or miracle worker or prophet. He's done what no one else has done. He's come alive again, and now he has ascended to the highest place. As they taught that, and as they then healed the sick, and the power of God's kingdom was seen, new communities of people, what we now call churches, were formed. But those churches knew, <coughs> needed to know how to live, needed to know, well, what, how do we know that this Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ? How then, what about our previous traditions? What about the law? How does the law come in if Jesus fulfilled the law? Who are God's people? What about all the Gentiles? Does this apply to them? And these letters are instructions to these new communities explaining the big story fulfilled in Jesus and how those communities should now live. They're explaining that Jesus is the fulfillment and all that God accomplished in Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul talks about, and so does Peter, how now the Gentiles, all the nations, get to be included because of Jesus. Because of that, they then get into cultural issues. So what about what foods can we eat now? Under the old covenant, there were some foods that were unclean. Now food is clean, and those foods doesn't apply anymore. 
but is it okay to eat them? Who should eat them? Who shouldn't? And there's even teaching on some of that and on cultural issues and how worship should happen. That's what these letters are doing. Now, we're not going to look at all of those instructions this morning, you'll be pleased to know. Sometimes when people get to this point uh, in... as they look at the big story, you can get to this point and it can, seems like it's a little bit boring. We've had lots of excitement, even as we've done our series, lots of drama. We've had battles, we've had giants slain, we've had good kings, we've had bad kings. We've had Jesus arrive, fulfilling everything, the sick healed, thousands of people fed with a couple of sandwiches, the resurrection of Jesus, then you get Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church, what Jesus was doing is now multiplied. This is fantastic! And then you get into Romans. And then you get into other letters which seem to say similar things. And sometimes when you're looking at the, the big story and the drama and excitement, you think these bits, we know they're important, we know they're good for our Bible readings, and they know we've got truth, but it's not ever so exciting. And it seems to all zoom in about us. And it's not like the law with countless rules, but it does telling us how we should live. <clears throat> and it is telling us uh, how important things are that happened before, but it's not as exciting or dramatic. It's a bit like when you're watching an exciting film and you get to the long bits of dialogue and you almost want to hit fast forward to get to some more action again. Now, let's get all this chat, all this talk, all this explaining. Come, let's get back to the, uh, I'll balance it off. Let's get back to the love story. Let's get back to some romance or let's get back to saving the world or whatever else is going on <coughs> in the film. And you want to fast forward, but you know you shouldn't really because you may miss something. And we can feel a bit like that sometimes with these books. I just want to fast forward, but I shouldn't in case I miss something. Some people can see it as a long list of instructions, but if we do so, we're missing really what's going on. (coughs) (coughs) Also, what doesn't always help us is some kind of historical teaching in the church and even teaching today has not conveyed the enormity and scale of the gospel and what's being written here. And so we end up approaching these books, missing the full scope, the full scale of really what Paul, Peter, James and other gospel writers are saying. So what I want to do this morning in the time we've got in terms of an overview is actually look at just some of the incredible truths that there are. Now to help illustrate this, can we put the picture up of the vase? Pretty Chinese vase. Some of you may know this story, it happened a little while ago now, but it's still such a great story. So uh, a couple in London... We're clearing out their parents' loft after their parents had died, and they were clearing out the house. Um, and they, in the loft, they came across this. It was a bit dusty, and, uh, but they thought, well, that looks nice, should be worth something. So they took it to the auction house, had it valued, and uh, that was coming in. We said, they thought, well, this is actually quite a rare Chinese vase from a certain dynasty. Um, you could get anywhere between 800,000 and a million. And they thought, wow, <coughs> that's a nice find in the loft. What are mum and dad doing with that? They knew there'd been some links to China, but really? So the guy takes it down on the day, of the, or the day before the auction, puts it in his van, leaves it on his front seat. Doesn't wrap it or anything. Don't worry, there's a happy ending. So we think, oh, I know what's going to happen. God, if my, if my husband did that, I'd kill him. Oh. It's not that story, okay? It's a nicer ending. So they get to the auction. The day of the auction, they open the bidding, and cut a long story short, 53 million. The Chinese rich and billionaires joined in the auction and it fetched 53 million. 
And the bloke said afterwards, I don't think I should have put it on the front seat of the van. <coughs> In the loft. So let's pray, all go home and check our lofts. <laughs> Here's the point. Some of you are, you're making notes now. Must do that. Check with mum and dad. Must think of excuse to go into loft when visit mum. <laughs> that painting she's got. I do, I'd always thought there was something about that. Here's the point. They had no idea that treasure was in that room. Forever much they loved mum and dad and all that it meant to them and all the loss they, they went through, etc. They had no idea they were living with that treasure. And even when it was valued, they had no idea really how much it was worth. The reason why I'm using this as an illustration is we can do that with the letters. We can do that with book after book after book filled with incredible truth and have no idea of the worth and power of what Jesus has won for us. That's what Paul, Peter, James, John are writing about. Hey, new communities, do you understand this? Do you understand the enormity, the treasure, the wonder of what Jesus has done? And as I said, sometimes church and how it, this stuff can get taught and at conferences and tele Christian channels and all of that we can put on other layers or we don't fully take on board just the enormity of everything Jesus has won so I want to do in the remaining <coughs> time this morning is just look at some there's three things that Paul and the other writers want us to understand clearly want the churches these new communities these new followers of Jesus want them to understand and themes that kind of run through most of these books. Can we put 2 Corinthians 3 up, just while we're still setting the scene? Paul says this when he's writing to the Corinthians about the Old Covenant, the, the story in the Old Testament up until the coming of Jesus. And I think it's, it's a startling claim to make. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, what Paul is talking about here is Moses and the law. So the whole Old Covenant being God saying, here's how you live. And that was glorious. Why was it glorious? Because Moses went up the mountain and his face was shining with the presence of God and he came back with the Ten Commandments and then they built the tabernacle and Moses would meet with God in the tabernacle and it says in the Old Testament story when he came out his face was shining with the glory of God and he had to cover his face. He'd been in God's presence. His face was shining. People couldn't look at him. That's what Paul is referring to here. If this ministry that brought condemnation, because it did, the law said, mustn't do that. Oh, you've done it. You're condemned. The law didn't help us, just told us what was wrong. You did that, and it's wrong. Don't. That's all the law did. That's what Paul means. It brought condemnation. If it was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? What Jesus has done brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, just past, just temporary, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? In other words, what Paul is saying here is in the Old Testament, in the, that part of the big story, God revealed his glory. He revealed it through Moses. He revealed it by saying, here's how I want you to live. He revealed it when he came to Solomon's temple. Solomon built this incredible building. And they said, this is for God to live in. This is God's house. This isn't for man. And they had this amazing worship time. And they had all these cattle they were going to sacrifice. And all the priests were there. And the choir were there. And they did the sacrifice <coughs> to get the temple ready to cleanse it. And then God said, I'm coming to live here. Whoosh! That's in the Hebrew. Well, maybe not. But God's glory came. 
and people were on their faces. And then what about Elijah, Mount Carmel, challenging all the, the, the worship of the foreign gods, saying, if your God's powerful, I'll show you who's powerful. Let's see which God sends fire from heaven. There's not time to do the story, but basically Elijah pours on loads and loads of water and then says, God, show them that there is one Lord in heaven. Show them that you are God and that you are powerful. And here's that word again, whoosh, fire comes from heaven. I mean, goodness, if there's some stories that you and I wish we could be transported back to, if there's some stories we think the glory of God, I'd love to have met Moses when he came down the mountain. I'd love to have been with Elijah. I'd have loved to have been in that meeting uh, when they dedicate Solomon's temple and see thousands of people on their face because the presence of God comes. It's not just cutting a ribbon and saying, this building is now holy. No, God comes. Thank goodness. feel sorry for the choir. Didn't get to sing our songs and get to worship because the glory comes and here's what Paul says about what you and I what the churches now have because of Jesus the glory is even greater really I mean come on guys look around the room I know some of you have made an effort this morning others of you have probably had to rush out and others (laughs) I'm I'm not going to settle my eyes on anybody did he mean me I told you I should have done my hair (coughs) Uh, I didn't mean you, Mark. Your hair's fine. (laughs) Don't laugh. It takes Mark and I a long time. (laughs) Really? The glory? Really? Why doesn't the world know? Listen, Andy, if you're saying this is more glorious, I'd like to go into my office on a Sunday, on a Monday or a classroom, or I'd like to be with my neighbours and see the glory of God fall from heaven. I'd like to do an Elijah. Thank you very much. And not a Sunday morning. Where's the glory? What does Paul mean? So let's look at some of that. So I'm going to look at some things then, three things that Paul and Peter and others clearly want to convey, things which often we don't fully appreciate or fully understand or can get distorted or misunderstood. So here's the first one, and these points won't come up on there. What will come up are different scriptures uh, to illustrate the point. So one of the things which isn't always uh, understood properly, people can think like this. Jesus, who is amazing and incredible, he healed the sick, he had compassion for the poor, he conquered death, he's now ascended into heaven, he's kind of been and gone. We worship him, we celebrate him, but it's now over to us. It's now over to the church, that's what we can think. Jesus is ruling and, and he's amazing, like I said, and we sing our songs and worship him. But basically it's over to us and the rescue of the world is over to us. And if good things are going to happen in the world and if we're going to have justice and righteousness, it's over to us now. <coughs> Sometimes there can be teaching about how our good works and our faith in him, if the church gets it right, and if we do that, then others will believe and the world will be a better place. And the emphasis is on us. Follow this, do this, pray more, read the Bible more, uh, claim this promise more, uh, walk in faith in the truth of this promise. Make sure you uh, have claimed it or make sure you're speaking the right words. All of these kind of things. Many books, conferences with this kind of theme, all about what we do and how if we lived better, if the church was more strategic or engaged culture more, if we took hold of truth, claimed God's promises, then everything would change. That's not actually what Paul teaches. Of course there are things we need to do. Of course faith is our response. Of course we need to look at God's word and let it (coughs) teach us and shape us. Of course there's things Paul says about renewing of the mind, taking off the old and putting on the new. Of course we're not to be passive. Of course there is a call for us. 
But what Paul and the other New Testament writers want us to understand is that Jesus is still very present. And his resurrection life is what we live in. It's not about our life at all. It's not about our effort or the church together. Come on, get it right. Let's be more this and more that. It's actually about letting what Jesus has done and his resurrection life be what we live in. It's not about you living better. It's about you continuing to experience and live in Jesus' resurrection life. That's what these truths mean. If we can put the uh, 2 Corinthians 5 slide up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, put their faith in Jesus, believed in him, said, Jesus, I believe you're the Christ, the Messiah. You're the fulfillment. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Where's the new creation? It's in here. This is new. What's in here? As I've referred to before in this series, these bits are getting old and are getting old more quickly for some of us, or at least I kind of feel like that. I was at the student weekend yesterday. Um, a lot of our, about 50 of our students from Church Central are, are down there, and they're all like, come on, it's the wide game. This is where you run around and rugby tackle people and get muddy and throw flour at people. It's called a game. Um, see, <laughs> there's my age. And they said, are you going to play? And I'm looking at some of these strapping guys, and some of these girls are up for it for a laugh, and I'm thinking, I really can't run anymore. I did my best. I, I, I went for this. And I put in a few good tackles, you'll be pleased to know, but most of the time I came off worse <laughs> as these young, strapping 18 and 19-year-olds, as I tried to grab them, just went, off you go, old man, <laughs> flailing in the mud. But never mind, my, my pride wasn't too badly dented. I took part. But in here is a new creation. In here is something which wasn't there before. This is what Jesus has done. This is what the gospel is. This may be fading and waiting for when we have new bodies, but there is new life that we're to live in. Romans 6, they're all up there. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new what? Come finish it. It's a new life. It's not the old one carrying on, trying to be better, because Jesus is up there watching, and we've got to fix some things. Now his life is still here. He is still very present. What he wants you to live in and walk in every day is his life when you go to work, when you're raising your kids, when you're hanging out with other people around you. It's not how I can do better. It's his resurrection life is now what's come to us. 1 Peter 1, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, not that which is fading. That's gone. That's how we were. That was the old life. That's what needed saving. That's what needed rescuing but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. If you're burdened or just operating out of duty, feeling heavy because you think, I'm just not good enough, I'm just not getting anywhere, I'm trying to pray or I'm trying to sort this out in my situation, it's just not happening, stop trying to sort it. It's not about your life and your effort and your energy it's about faith in what Jesus has done in you and his life living through you. That's what it means to live by faith. You think this is all mysterious and mystical. What do you mean this is new? What do you mean it's not my life? I'm still breathing. My lungs are still working. My heart is still beating. Yeah, that's the physical. But it is mysterious because it's supernatural. Jesus has made you a new creation now. You'll be raised with him and live with him forever and ever. But his eternal life, what raised Christ up to live again, is the life that's now working in us. 
And knowing and walking in that and enjoying that is what the good news is. That Jesus came to rescue us from our efforts and our energies and his life to work through us. An amen, please, or an agree, if you do. Because what I just said is so releasing. And you can see what I mean where sometimes we don't always understand it or it gets mistaught because it's all about Jesus has done this and he's amazing. Now come on, live up to it. Work harder and all of that. I don't need to say it again. What Paul wants again and again in these letters is, hey, Jesus has done this. It's new. Live in it. Next one. Keep us going. (coughs) We just miss, and I know we've touched on this before, but we just miss how incredibly important this is. What this new community, what the church is. After years of traditions, after years of it kind of being settled in society, and society knows, yeah, there's church now, it's a religious thing. We can settle for the meetings, we can settle for what we do week by week, think, yeah, that's church, and it is, and it's important, and it's important that we come together as family and worship Jesus and know his presence, but we can miss just the power and the glory and the wonder of what this is. Many can get disillusioned and disheartened. Some of us will have dear friends who aren't with us anymore because they got disillusioned with this. Or they got hurt, or they thought, I thought the church was supposed to be what God's doing, and really it's just a bunch of people, and we sing songs, and are we really going to see anything change? Sometimes they get disillusioned, not for hurt, but because they had such big dreams and desires and promises for the church, or even their own lives, and don't see it come about, and think, is it really worth it? And in some parts of our wider Christian community now, what's more exciting is what God's doing outside of the church. And people say, our church is all right, but really this organization or this justice work or this poverty alleviation work, that, that's where it really is. If you really wanted to see what Jesus is doing in the world, it's not really in here, it's in other things which are being done in his name. Now, I, I get that. There are definitely things, works that God has raised up because we've lost our way or forgotten what the church is to do. But people can end up then rejecting this again and again through the letters. What Paul wants us to understand, this is the fulfillment of what God has been doing. That's amazing. That's one of the things I saw afresh as I kind of uh, prepped for this week and prepared the big story. When you step back and look at the big story, you see all the excitement bits I was talking about, then you see Jesus coming and fulfilling, and you think, wow, that's brilliant. Let's finish there. God doesn't finish there. He wants the next bit, God. What's the next thing you're going to do? You've come in Jesus. You've conquered death. How can this story get more exciting? I bet no one saw this coming. It's this. God says, here's why I've done all of this. I want the church. I want this. I want a people. That's how glorious. That's what Paul's writing about. That's how amazing it is. This is the temple now. This is where God lives. This is where God gets to be with his people. The big story, one of the things we could have called it is a love story. When we're looking at the titles and thought, shall we call this a love story or God's story or or what? God wants to be with people. This is where it happens. This is what this is. Yeah, we have order and a way we do things and meetings. and Like all families, you've got to have structure. But what's at the heart of it is love and knowing him. There's nowhere else you can get that. There's nowhere else you'll find it. This is unique. This is a new creation. For God, this is the purpose of the big story. This is the climax of the story. Now, eventually, Jesus will come. But what does he come for? He comes for the church. 
This is it now. This is a foretaste of that. This is what God has planned all along. The church is a fulfillment of what was promised. So Ephesians 2, uh, if that can go up, a passage we know well. Consequently, you're not foreigners and strangers. Paul is writing to to Gentiles here as well as uh, Israelites. Your fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, so all that's happened before, you're built on that. You're the fulfillment of that. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's amazing. See, it's God's presence, God's holiness, God living here that makes this amazing. I know there are times when it can just be duty. I mean, goodness, I know that. I have the privilege of, and have done for years, of serving churches full-time. And I you know, have to remind myself, hey, this isn't a job in that sense. We can all just settle for duty. We can all just say, oh, yeah, Sunday? Oh, yeah, I know what this looks like. I get that. I get we don't necessarily all get up at bed at 6 in the morning on the Sunday, praying in tongues, reading the Bible, whoopee, we're going to meet with everybody else. I understand that doesn't happen to all of us. I know some of you, those of you that do, forgive me. I'm glad it does. Please pray for us. <laughs> and let's be real. You know, the busyness of life and everything else. But that's why it's good to step back and do this big story thing. This is what God planned. Treasure it. Love it. Value it. Yeah, it can be confusing at times or hurtful. And you can think, God, really? Was that your plan? Yeah, it's his plan. It's his plan. the promise of righteousness and justice is fulfilled now with how we live. You see, we forgive as Jesus forgave. We love and accept one another as Jesus did. We have compassion on the excluded and needy as Jesus did. How we live is how righteousness is displayed in the earth now. That's why this is so important. You think all those promises that we've seen through the big story, God's saying, I will overcome evil. There'll be righteousness now. There'll be justice. Oppression will be broken. You think, God, when are you going to do that one? Is that just when you come back and wrap it all up? No, it's now through the church. As we love, as we forgive, as we overcome evil between one another, as we accept people as Jesus accepted them, then righteousness is coming in the earth. You think, God, I wish you'd do a big thing. I wish you'd do a huge thing. But Jesus said, no, it's like a, the kingdom is like a seed. It's like a small thing. And it's going to grow into a big thing. So every act of righteousness you do, every act of kindness you do, every time you forgive someone, every time you love someone, every time you encourage someone, every time you give to someone in need is a demonstration that God's righteousness has broken in. Please understand that. So many of us can live with a sense, am I really making a difference? Jesus is incredible. I read the big story and say Jesus has changed everything. But for me, in my office, for me, at home, trying to raise my family, am I really making a difference? Love all these big conference speakers. Love all these big names that there are. God bless them. Thank God he's raised them up. But for me, well, I'll just do my thing at school. I'll just do my thing. And I'm glad others can do big things. Oh, we've got to change that. Every, every act of forgiveness and kindness is Jesus' righteousness coming into the earth. Oh, how I long. You, you know some of what I do, the places I get to travel to, the poverty I get to see, the oppression I see in nations. Oh, I could scream sometimes and say, Jesus, why don't you stop this? Why don't you break in? He has. And his plan is to save and rescue and transform into new life individual hearts 
who then love and bring righteousness and compassion. That's how Jesus is changing the world. That's what the church is for. Every conversation we'll have afterwards, every encouragement of one another is Jesus' life coming and the world changing. That's why Peter says this, 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans. I think he meant that in quite the derogatory way that it is today. I suggest you don't walk into the office tomorrow and say that. I had a great time in church yesterday. Listen to me, pagans. Anyone want a cup of coffee? That's my way of letting you know Jesus is here. Anyone for tea? You pagans. It was a more appropriate word then. All right? they, were, they were okay. They were happy to be called that. <coughs> Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You think they don't notice? They're not interested in what I believe or what I think? Yeah, they are. They notice. And what's more in Ephesians, Paul says the principalities and powers notice because God is displaying his wisdom through the church. All right, we've got to pick this up. Another often overlooked truth that the New Testament writers focus on is the future hope. What you see running through the letters again and again in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, in times of persecution, in times of confusion, is Paul, Peter, James saying, this isn't the end of the story. This is a foretaste of what is coming. We are new creations, but one day everything will be made new. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. You think this one is amazing, scientists still shining their telescopes and discovering new things. They won't get to finish that before God makes a new one. That'll confuse them. Oh, we haven't counted all the others. And God's made a new one and it's even more glorious. And then all righteousness will come. And all evil will finish. And there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more weeping. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. If that can go up, I consider... Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration. That's right at the beginning of the story where wickedness and evil came. And and we talked about that earlier on in our series. Death came as a result of man rebelling. (coughs) And the creation has been waiting. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So the freedom that we know, the righteousness that we know that is ours now in Jesus, the new creation which is in us, his resurrection life one day, that will make everything new. And Paul writes this again and again in context of, yeah, I know it's hard, I know there's suffering, I know there can be evil all around us, but we have hope. Not a fingers crossed, I think it will be okay, I think Jesus is in control. Hard to tell with the news sometimes. Fingers crossed, guys. Come on, let's, let's hope. Let's just sing our songs and hang on. No, this hope is to be like a fire that burns in us. And say, so, yeah, in the middle of when I'm weeping, I know this isn't the end of the story. In the middle of when I'm thinking, God, what's happening in my family at the moment? God, what's happening in my office? Why is it I try and do good deeds and no one's praising you? Don't know what Andy was about on Sunday. It ain't happening where I am. That in the middle of that, you don't despair. You don't give up. You have hope. But Jesus, this isn't the end. This isn't the end of your story. It's not the end of your family's story. It's not the end of Birmingham's story. It's not the end of this nation's story or all the nations in the world because one day Jesus will come and every knee will bow and worship him and everything will be made new. And in the middle of hardship, difficulty and pain, this is to be like fuel (coughs) that helps us, that strengthens us and think, yeah, this isn't the end. Yeah, disappointment is real. Yeah, things don't always work out well. Yeah, the church is glorious, but we can let each other down at times. In the middle of that, you say, but I'm hoping 
because Jesus is going to come and make everything right. These are the glorious truths, and there's many more, but these three in particular that we see running through these letters. What Paul was desperate, and Peter and James and others, John, for these new communities to understand. It's not your life and effort and energy. It's having faith in Jesus' life filling you and flowing through you. (coughs) It's valuing the church who we are, what Jesus has done, what our purpose is, not simply in singing our songs, but how we live in the week, how we love, how we care, how we have compassion. It may be like a seed, but it will grow into a mighty tree, and then knowing there is hope. Purpose of this morning has been, I hope, by God's Spirit to bring fresh revelation, to remind you of things that fill you with faith that this really does matter, that what we do here really does count. Not because we're good, not because this is the best church or most of church around, because it's Jesus's, because he's living and working in it. To remind you that if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling heavy, oh, it's so hard following Jesus. Stop trying so hard and let his life, because that's what it means to follow him. That vase, 53 million, you and I, Our love, our care, our compassion is worth so much more. Treasure the treasure.